Hi, I'm Sumit Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Remember, we're online, we're video and audio. You can download us, you can watch us on the Energy Live News YouTube channel, and of course, subscribe to the podcast with whatever podcast service you listen to. We want you to be involved in the podcast every week, so make sure that you get in touch. If you've got something you think should be talked about, you're doing something in net zero or ESG or sustainability, or you just think you've got a tale that others would be inspired by, then drop me a line, nethero at futurenetzero.com, and make sure that you listen in regularly. Without you as the audience and also our guests, the podcast is nothing. Now, on to this week's episode. Hi, I'm Sumit. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. Now, where are we in the world of sustainability? It's something that you know, we've been looking at, obviously, for years and years and years. And the whole idea of Future Net Zero is to try and encourage you as business people to think about what you can do to make a contribution because better business leads to a better planet. But the state of sustainability varies in t- people's eyes. Some people say we're doing really well. Some people say we're not doing enough. You took uh, a sample of 100 people in the street, you'd probably find quite a few people who are very you know, caring about the environment, maybe even vociferous. A lot of people who probably are thinking we're doing okay. And maybe I think the majority think, well, I'm not really that bothered. But the change is upon us. It's happening. And today, I'm really happy to say I've got a guest who's joining the podcast who's kind of been at the forefront of this way back before there was even a planet, I think. She's been doing this stuff. Julia Hales, thank you very much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Julia, thanks very much for joining us. Now, um, tongue-in-cheek, I said that you've been around since sustainability began, but, you know, in all seriousness, you were looking at this uh, many, many years ago. Can you explain, A, your background, how you got into this, and B, which I think is very fascinating, you know, in the very early days, how you decided to to talk to business about this? Because there have been people who have been always worried about the environment, but they've kind of been entrenched in their own kind of eco-communities. But you sort of saw the need to talk to business very early on. So take us back to how this all began. Okay, so I started working in uh, sustainability, environmental things in the mid-1980s. I started working with uh, someone called John Elkington, who's very well known in, in, uh, in, in that sphere. You should probably get him on your podcast. And um, we realized very early on that there was, it's very important for people to recognize that there was a, uh, a clear link between everything that we do is going to impact on the environment in one way or the other. And it's not just the specific impact that we're having, but actually almost most importantly, it's the message that we're sending back to business. So a very good example of that is that we started writing, uh, we wrote a book called The Green Consumer Guide, which was published in 1988. It became an instant bestseller, 11 print runs in the first few weeks, and ultimately sold over a million copies worldwide. If we hadn't done that, someone else would have done that. But it caught the zeitgeist. And when I was researching that book, I rang all the supermarkets about what they were doing environmentally. And none of them had any idea what we were talking about. No, of course it was not. Yeah. completely like man from the moon stuff, didn't know about it. However, the next book that we wrote specifically focused on supermarkets. And I then rang them. Uh, so this was like nine months later. 
after the, the, the publication or six months after the publication and asked them about what they were doing. Every single supermarket had brought in an environmental advisor <laughs> in that short period of time. So it really illustrated how they recognize that this was something for them. It was something for their customers were concerned about and they wanted to uh, appeal to the green consumer. Can I so, just take you back one step? So are you an ecologist by background or what's your sort of background? I'm definitely not an ecologist in my background. And actually, I'm really facing the um, the sort of repercussions of that now because I'm doing wilding projects and, and I'm learning so much about ecology, but that isn't, you know, where I started. And in fact, I had no formal training at all. I love it. I, so what was your, what's your background? Well, I did a lot of traveling. Yeah, um, cool. And it was actually when I was traveling um, that I really got uh, concerned about the destruction of the rainforest. And that was probably the biggest motivator for me is saying, I have got to do something to stop that. Um, and in fact, very recently, I've become an ambassador for the Rainforest Trust. So full circle, um, come come round to that again. So, you so your experience of traveling, sorry to interrupt, but that sort of triggered your environmental consciousness rather than having done a degree or, or work with that? I think it, it it certainly did. It probably built on uh, on some some uh, something that was in there, but it definitely got me motivated. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not supporting um, people trying to ban flights and that type of thing, because I think it's terribly important for people to go out and to travel and to see what's happening on the ground. And I could certainly expand on that. No, that's for sure. Why did you think at that time, you and John, about writing a book for, and, and approaching business in the first place? Because I said at the beginning, there's always been green movements, right, since probably post-war, even earlier. Um, generally, they've been protesting and against. We've got XR and all these things now. But many, particularly in, th in those days, would never have thought about engaging business. Why did you particularly want to write a book about consumerism and green and then approach, like you said, the super? What, what, what made you think, I want to talk to business? Well, I think John had been working with business in, uh, in more subtle ways, in, in, in a way, in trying to encourage them and, and, and doing things. But in particular, what we recognised is that so many of the issues came down to what they were doing and the fact that they would say, businesses, there's no demand for yeah. greener products. Mm. Why should we be doing anything? So we recognised that actually we were appealing to consumers because people were thinking, what can I do? And then we were helping them with the ideas. And at the same time, we were then saying to businesses, people are concerned, you need to be paying attention to these people and these are your customers. And we did surveys at the time showing that there were obviously some deep green people who were always going to be doing a lot, but there was a huge swathe, and this was sort of proper market research, there was a huge swathe of consumers who really wanted to do something but didn't know what they could be doing. And we caught that zeitgeist. If we hadn't written it, somebody else would have done because there were lots of people there. And after we, we had the success with the Green Consumer Guide, it wasn't us approaching business. It was the other way around. They swarmed to us and they came and they said, look, we realize this is important. What on earth do we do about it? We started advising them. We're doing environmental audits, doing life cycle assessments of their products and essentially looking at what they could do to change the focus of their business to put environment much more, much further up the agenda on a par 
John developed a marvellous term called the triple bottom line, looking at financial, environmental and social impacts. And that became a very standard thing that businesses started picking up on and recognising they had a responsibility on all three fronts. It's funny, isn't it? So this is late 80s, early 90s. And I remember, you know, I'm pretty old, so I remember that time very well. And I don't remember much about that. You know, I remember at uni... Did we really care about plastic? Certainly not. Uh, did we really think about kind of, you know, it was all about buying jeans or getting stuff and consumerism was was coming in. We were getting cheap goods from China. But I noticed the things started to change. And a bit, a bit like you when you said travelling, I went travelling and I remember finding in in Australia years ago a bin in, in, in the park which was recycled material and I've never seen such a thing like that. Looking now how business has taught, taken up this mantle. It seemed to me, and maybe you can tell me you know better, there was a massive lag from that initial kind of, they're aware, they think there's a right, to really doing things. And that's really picked up the last five, 10 years. Why do you think, or, or have I got that wrong? Do you think there's been a, a gradual shift over the last 30 years, or is it all really happened recently? Um, do you remember about ozone-friendly aerosols? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. There you are. That yeah, happened. In the late I CFCs, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, CFCs in aerosols, in refrigeration, whatever. Yeah. So that was part of our green consumer campaign. It was raising awareness about that. It's one of the most successful consumer and environment campaigns that's ever been because actually there was a shift. People became very aware about that. It was, Absolutely. It was yeah. picked up on. And we actually had a bit of a run-in with uh, uh, McDonald's at the time uh, on a whole range of, uh, of things. We had to be very careful because they uh they, were they like little... to sue just before they we like start this we were very close to being um you know one of their uh, victims but right. fought back hard and one of the things that we were we, we picked up on was the whole thing of cfcs in the foam packaging that they course, used at that yeah. stage yeah. and so um although we 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 piggybacked another uh, another issue to 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 get in but they then said they were going to come out of, of CFCs in foam packaging. So the manufacturer of that foam packaging, they responded instantly because at the beginning they had the legislators saying, oh, no, it's very important. This packaging industry, it's going to cost us a million yes, pounds, yes. et cetera, McDonald's said we're going CFC free in our packaging. They just did it straight off and so the market it was the power of market forces and that was the biggest impact that we had regardless as to things it was because we knew there were consumers out there were concerned but that put the message on these companies it made them do things that they would not have otherwise done and it shifted business and at the same time i i was sitting on the eco labeling board and we were looking at phosphates in detergents about what's happening with with uh, nappies what, what paints or all sorts of different areas and all of those sectors were listening to what we were doing and responding so you as the consumer may not have been aware about the changes that were going on in business but it was during that time that businesses started employing people to look at environmental things to look across the board at what they were doing I think that my contention is, having started in, in at that stage, yeah. is that we thought it was very exciting and there were lots of things going Absolutely, on, but it wasn't yeah. nearly enough. Yeah. And we started with our company, Sustainability, looking, and obviously the concept of sustainability is living within our means, living within what, you know, the, the resources that the planet has. Now, nearly 40 years on, um, we are 
we're so far beyond living sustainably that we have to start looking at regeneration and putting things back and repairing the damage. And, uh, you know, I can go on to talk to a little bit about businesses and why I think they need to be doing so much more than what they are now. The, and I will, we will discuss that in a second. The, the whole thing you said there is very interesting because you're now triggering loads of memories of me. Of things. Obviously, working as a journalist, I remember writing the stories about the nappies and all of these things, and it's, it's very interesting how that all comes back to you. Um, where, where would you sit when an environmental campaigner would say to you, I don't think you should be talking to businesses? Right? You said earlier, we should be flying. There's a lot of people who say, we shouldn't be flying. I've had people on this podcast saying, Why, how, how dare people fly? How dare people take any other form of transport except you know, a bicycle or something like that? Before we talk about where businesses should be now, where do you think the green lobby has, has changed over the last 40 years? Do you think well, there's become a much more zealous element of, of green, which is really against any kind of thing that you've had, which is dialogue with business? No, I think it was really, actually, I've got a marvellous story, which I can tell you about that, is that I spoke at the Green Party conference in 1989. Right. And I was booed and heckled from the audience. Um, and they said, why have we got someone on the platform who's making money out of the environment? <sighs> at the same time as challenging me on that, um, in the lobby, of the Green Party conference for the very, very first time, they were selling greener products like Ecova. <laughs> um, and why were they doing that? Because of us and our Green Consumer Guide, because they were beginning to engage in the positive side of what business could do on that front. So yes, absolutely, there are always going to be the, the sort of more purists who were doing that. We were in a very interesting position because you know, in some ways, we were cursed by the green lobby because yeah. we were in business. At the same time, I gave a speech to ICI, you know, who were very yeah. big, they were yeah. CFCs, and they were really challenging me about that. In fact, at the time that I went to do that, they were denying that CFCs were affecting the ozone layer. And so you I were was stuck in, in the middle between the two. It's very interesting. We were in the middle with a foot in both camps, yeah. advising businesses and picking up on the issues from the from the green lobby. And eventually, actually, not long after we did that, probably in the early 90s, Greenpeace launched a magazine called Greenpeace Business. Yes, and that, I remember we that. Yeah. Very much working with them and, you know, thinking, well, that was brilliant because they needed to engage more. If you attack business completely, the only response has to be to ignore you because they yeah. can't do anything. What we wanted to do is we wanted to say, actually, business has the solutions. If we get businesses to changes, change, we can push government to move faster. We can really change. More people want to work for the businesses that are leading on this thing, engaging them in, in, in those type of things. So although I, I, you know, do occasionally, you know, campaign with, with boards, I, 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 I walk better <laughs> at COP26, but I very much understand that the, the importance of working with business and getting them to value and recognize the value of what can be done. And I've, I've launched several campaigns, which is really picking up on that competition between businesses, how good they, they, they are on different sectors. So just to bring up one, I work with the Environmental Investigation Agency trying to highlight the importance about supermarkets and wider companies uh, getting out of um, basically ozone and climate change refrigeration products. Yeah, yeah. And what we did was we, it was a, a campaign called the Chilling Facts campaign. And it's, it, it's great because what we did is we compared 
all the different supermarkets, how they compared on what they were doing, how quickly they were going to get out of it, you know, how it weighted to their refrigeration, their transport, their, you know, opening doors, you know, all sorts of different things within within that sector. And they moved because they all had to respond and they saw that competition. And, and it's a very, very effective way of getting change. I, I agree with everything you've said. One thing that I want to explore um, is the issue of the green consumer, right? You launched the consumer guide. Are we really that much greener than we were? I think we're more aware. And, you know, certain people like, you know, I've ditched my uh, plastic razors and I've got gone old school. I've got found something like my dad's old, you know, safety razor. I've gone to that and I've certainly changed things. But I'm not I'm not an eco, you know, a warrior. But I just realized that there's no need. There's things that I can do. And I've certainly only done that more since we started Future Net Zero because I've been aware of how much we're eating and how much food waste and all of that. Do you think in general there's a, there's a feeling that consumers... And, and again, there's two points I'd like to... to one is, are consumers getting greener? And B, is that really just the Western consumer? Then, you know, looking at it globally. It's such, it's such a big question, actually. It's interesting because I've got two sons working in, in, in the environment. And um, certainly my eldest son is, is a lot more radical than I am. But he <laughs> doesn't really feel the power of the consumer because he thinks that we're working within the society we've got and we've got relative little choice to make, uh, you know, make a difference within that context. Um, I actually don't think that because I do see the power of the consumer in terms of pushing their messages to business and changing yeah. that culture. And I can see how that's worked in, in, in terms of things. And I don't think that you can sit there saying the consumer is not making any difference because I think that that increased awareness. I mean, is the government ever going to tax um, fuel or flights or any of the negative things if the majority of people think that's a whole load of rubbish and they don't want it. Are they going to do it if actually the majority of people are thinking, actually, they they, they welcome that and they're prepared to shift their behaviour yeah, patterns yeah. much more likely? So we have to, to be able to demonstrate we care through what we consume, what we buy and how we act in, in, in that respect. What Is about, it a thing? Sorry, to, yes, the Western the, thing. Yeah, what, what's, yes. what's your view on that? Um, so my view on that is, I think that one of the things that annoys me more than anything else is when people say, well, why are we bothering to do anything? And look what they're doing in China. Yeah, I could yeah. throttle anyone that does that. So don't ever tell that to me because I think it's rubbish. And the part of the reason why I think it's rubbish is for the same way about the message going to business. If we are here demonstrating the state of the art of what can be done and what could, you know, what we should be doing, it's so much more likely that they will be doing that too. Of course. And you also yeah. have to understand that the population in China is X zillion pounds bigger. And if you if you measure it per head, they're not having a bigger impact no, than us. No, absolutely, absolutely. And this this thing, I, I, you were copying Glasgow, I think. Yes, yeah, same as me. And, yeah. you know, the, the thing I liked, I thought, I had mixed feelings on COP, but the thing I liked was meeting people from Botswana, Venezuela, the Philippines and China and, you know, Southeast Asia. And the fact is that people wanted to do things, but at their own, they're going to do what they, they've got to get the, their people out of poverty. They've got to get them energy. They've got to give them health, but they're not unaware of what's going on. And I think this kind of preaching thing doesn't work. Um, can I just say, just to bring in a, a, an issue about that, 
is that there's a, a, a marvellous book that's been written called The Life Cycle, and it's about this lady um, cycling from the top of South America to the bottom on a bamboo bicycle. Right. Um, which is incredible, but she has highlighted all the issues about biodiversity as part of her, her trip. And the, the, the thing that is really powerful in there is meeting these campaigners, and they are fighting those extractive industries that of are course. fueling... Mining and all of that, yeah, absolutely. And those are in direct conflict with biodiversity and destroying the forests and all those different things. So all these things are incredibly mixed and there are people out there trying to do that. And they're trying to say, how can these how can these countries get money apart from from extractive industries? One of the areas, tourism. Of so course. that brings us back to flights again. So, the, you know, the whole thing is it's it's looking holistically at these things to really understand the impacts we're having and how powerful you know, us as individuals are in terms of the changes that we can bring about. Where would you say if you're doing the report card, having been there at the beginning, a lot of businesses have talked the talk. I don't think anywhere near enough have walked the walk. But, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone was declaring we're going net zero by this date, with this, that, whatever. We've seen some shift. I've definitely seen a lot of shifts in terms of products we can get and, you know, the fact that you can now get metal straws and all these things for kids' parties. There is things happening. We do events. I'm sure you've been to events where conferences now offer bamboo plates and things are changing. Businesses are looking at their supply chains. But overall, would you say, looking at it, businesses doing it as they really want to, to be innovative, to get a market lead? Or do you think they're being kicked and dragged along to do this? Um, gosh, that's a really big question because it, it raises so many different issues, which I will try and... Uh, cover very your gut, your gut feeling is all I need. Yeah. Really. So, so basically, I just say net zero has good and bad about it. Yeah. I um I, I sort of hate it in some ways because it implies that <laughs> oh dear, you know, <laughs> you've got to net zero, it's enough. And no, no, you know, so actually you want to do as much as you possibly can. You don't want to stop at any particular point. You want yeah. to do as much as you you, you you can. In terms of businesses, um obviously that makes it a bit more tangible in some ways. But what I think is that so many businesses are saying we want to do exactly what we're doing, but a little bit greener. And I think that's rubbish because actually what we want is businesses having a vision which is saying we are going to do what we can to repair the planet, to stop deforestation, to basically bring back all the things, biodiversity, whatever, to halt climate change. We're going to use the power that we have to do that and try and make money and use our expertise in the process. So I don't think it's a conflict between making money and doing good, but I do think it's a conflict in terms of staying with the same business remit as you ever had before. If you take the big oil companies, I don't think they should be just piling on more and more oil exploration, et cetera, et cetera. They should be putting that money into micropower, improving the grid, increasing renewables, whatever. So it's shifting the focus and it's bold and it's got to be big because otherwise it's just not going to be nearly enough. We as a people um, are struggling, right? I mean, let's be honest, the cost of living crisis is everyone. Um, but I still feel that there's a role for all of this. Do you think that a lot of us, maybe I'm guilty of it myself, we have very good intentions, but when it comes to that issue of will I pay more for that greener product or will I do something less that puts me at a slight, you know, I'll have to drive less or do less or take a smaller car, whatever, 
Do you think we as consumers maybe have a real problem there? Because it's a really difficult one of human nature. It's like going on a diet, isn't it? You always want to do it, but you think it's going to be good because you know you can see the goal, but doing it is flipping hard. Uh I, I certainly agree that doing it is hard. And I think that one of the things is that people um, have so many misperceptions about what is the right thing and what isn't. Yeah. And it's very difficult communicating that. So I think that one of the things that you sort of brought up is, you know, can't we just rely on companies to do the right thing? And that would be better. And in some ways, I sort of agree with you because... You take the I, choice I, out of it for me as a consumer. Yes, yeah. because it's too complicated. So, yeah. you know, when Marks and Spencer started, for example, responding to the, the, the green issue, they were actually fairly low down in the pecking order of companies in terms of what they were doing. However, they leapfrogged the others. And they one did, of the reasons yeah. why they, they did... Yeah. Plan A was very good, and I did some work with, with them in advance of that. And um, one of the reasons why they did leapfrog uh, the others is because they were actually trying to work out what was actually better, proper thinking. So they weren't just leading on to they weren't just banning plastics they were looking at how to make sure that we reused as much as possible that we had we put recycled plastic materials into their plastic bags and you know in for example with clothes i thought it was really interesting they established that one of the most powerful things that they could do to save carbon in relation to textiles and fashion was to reduce the on the labels which said uh, the temperature of the wash to re reduce that from 60 to 30. Yes. So it, it's th it's thinking laterally, thinking about, the, you know, the issues that are involved and coming up. However, I remember Tesco coming in with biodegradable plastic bags, which I think a rubbish idea doesn't make sense for consumers, but everyone latched on. Oh, this is brilliant. Mm. We're all doing that. They were just climbing on a bandwagon and misinforming consumers. And I think that was really a, a, a you know, rotten thing to do. But we have to have companies who properly understand it and are properly trying to make a difference. I'm sure Tesco, just for legal reasons, would probably say that they had the good intention there. But I get your wider point. It was so a while ago, so they may have changed. <laughs> they may have changed. <laughs> But let's go. Let's get back to this fundamental point before we end, which is, you know, in a funny way, we're doing something with Future Net Zero that you did. You started at the beginning. The conversation with business that business does these things to change, um, and then we as consumers go along with it. When you look at the plethora of information now, right? You and I grew up in the time of newspapers, a bit of radio, a bit of TV. I mean, the online information world is overwhelming, but there's so much disinformation and misinformation out there. Do you think there's an impetus on finding ways to communicate better, particularly for businesses, to avoid the greenwashing, to be accountable, but also for us as consumers so that we don't follow a TikTok trend or things like that, particularly young kids. They believe so much without ever looking to see anything verified, a rumour. Does that worry you that the way that the information, because change comes from knowledge, knowledge comes from understanding. And if where we're getting our understandings wrong, then our impression of what we should do is wrong. I totally agree with that. And yes, it does worry me because I think that people take a very simplistic approach. So if you take the whole issue of plastics, um, I, I really, in, in some ways, I sort of welcomed the fact that there was a huge amount of awareness about waste because we are an incredibly wasteful society and there are terrible things that are being done. But it drove me completely mad that everyone used to just say, ban plastics, get rid of plastics and everything. Absolutely. That would be a monster. 
plastics are a lightweight material. They're a miracle material in all sorts of ways. If we banned plastics, the amount of energy it would use would be far, far greater. So, and the main issue with plastics, there, there are a few, but the main issue with plastics is getting into the waterways. So shouldn't we be really looking at what are the things that are getting plastics into our waterways? Not designing plastic so it's all right if it gets in our water, because we don't want it in there in the first place. And by the way, biodegradable plastic will not biodegrade in the sea because it's too cold. So there are all sorts of things that, you know, we have all these misperceptions about, you know, what to do. And the same for... Uh, disposable plastics is that, that effectively if you actually recycle them and you use recycled materials there's got to be a market for recycled material yeah. as opposed to virgin material that's really important so the circular economy going keeping within the system is 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 really important that's what my son's business is all about rubbish ideas is helping people move towards that circular economy but in many ways it can actually be better than reusable containers so if you take a festival or event Sometimes they're doing, you know, reusable cups and they're yeah, saying this is yeah. so much better. They but do, you have yeah. They, some of them have been sending those cups abroad to get washed. Has anyone ever thought about what that might mean? What a carbon footprint. Yeah. What a carbon footprint that is. Some of them have reusable containers, but how many times are they actually reused? And, how, and they have to be heavier in order to make them. So if they're not used enough times... That's not any good either. People take them away as souvenirs because they put a yes. date on them. Yeah. What's the point of that? <laughs> um, so there are all these different things. And that's, in a way, the biggest point I want to make in relation to this thing is that so many of the things we need to look much more holistically at the impacts of what we're doing, whether it's flying, whether it's planting trees, whether it's about plastics, we need to be have a much more sophisticated understanding. And I think the role of business is to properly research these issues, make sure they truly understand them and lead the way towards the solutions that are innovative, bold, and properly factually going to make a difference environmentally because we are in a crisis and we need proper action and business is in an excellent place to be a leader in, on this front. That is the best place to end. Juliet, you've been fantastic to talk to. I'd love to speak to you again. I'd love to get you to come and talk at our conference next year. So we'll, we'll have a catch up on that. Um, a final word. Are you still positive about the things 40 years on from when you first got into this world? Do you think we're getting things right at least a little bit to make things better for the next generation? Well, I think we're doing a lot more than when I started, but the situation is much more urgent than when I started. And I'm afraid to say that I've become slightly more pessimistic because I really, really do not think we're doing enough. And I do think that um, there's just so much more that needs to be done. If you see the fires are happening all over the planet, yeah. the you know, increased storms, the floods, the whatever, you know, I still meet people who tell me that it, it's nothing, that there's nothing going on, there's nothing wrong. I totally disagree with that. And I think we really need to act. And I'm afraid I'm a little bit more pessimistic about the ability to get people to really do what's needed to be done. Well, I think, I'm sure you'll be holding everyone to account. Julia, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Great. Look forward to seeing it. Brilliant, lovely. Thank you very much to Juliet. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast, get in touch. What have you got to say? What have you thought what she said? Would you agree with Julia? Then you can email nethero at futurenetzero.com and please keep subscribing and let us know if you've got a story to tell about what you're doing to try and improve our awareness on sustainability. See you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. 
And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.